Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, and uh, hope you enjoyed the the JL break, the last couple episodes, as we got to hear from uh, Shane Claiborne, both in a session and uh, via interview, that was super cool. In the spirit of continuing with our Hope Lives series, uh, we've got our Executive Director of Homelessness Services here today, Annie Froze, but uh, not here so much to talk about Hope Lives, although we're supposed to talk about some things related to the shelter. So anyways, welcome back, Annie. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Um, before we dive into our subject today, uh, just tell me about how your world is going these days. How's the family as we approach the Christmas season? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've told the crowd before, my kids are three and five, so Christmas is, it's a pretty exciting time. I, I can't say that we haven't threatened that Santa is not going to come. <laughs> like, we're definitely in that season right now where, we talk about uh, Christmas, and oftentimes for my five-year-old, that means Santa, because that's what his friends tell him, and uh, yeah, we're in that season. It's a pretty great one. Do your kids know what they want for Christmas? Hot Wheels. Anything Hot Wheels related. Okay, I was going to say, they have, they, are they at the age at five and three where they have like the established Christmas lists, or do you just know as a parent? No, they don't. I mean, we took them to see Santa just really for the picture and they don't even really know that they're supposed to ask for something. They just love Hot Wheels. So we're still in the era of Christmas is a couple of Hot Wheels cars and they're good to go. And they think this is just the best day ever. Okay. So they don't send you lists with web links of the exact store and item and size that you're just a point and click and order? No, but we have friends who tell us that that's coming. We're going to soak in the simple Christmas for as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, a couple Hot Wheels would save me a bit of money. So anyways, how's it going around the shelter? Tell us about that for a minute. Yeah, the shelter's doing really well. I think there's uh, a lot of anticipation for what the new year is going to bring. It's kind of an interesting time because as much as things were really wild for a long time in all of the early COVID and then the midpoint of COVID, um, we're pretty stable these days. And, you know, there's certainly days that feel busy or there's situations that feel like it's thrown us right back into the problem solving of it. But for the most part, we've been pretty steady, not a ton of change. And I'm trying to encourage our team to soak that in because it's been a long marathon to get here. And the next big thing for you guys, of course, is the Christmas dinner, which isn't happening on the 25th. It's happening a couple of days earlier. Yeah, it's happening on the 22nd. Um, so we started doing that a couple of years ago and felt like we got much more participation with it not being right on Christmas Day. Uh, so this will, again, similar to what we just experienced with Thanksgiving, um, it's really just a great opportunity to have a ton of our community come together. Our last couple have been upwards of 200, 230 people. So we open up the whole gym, we deck it out. It looks way less like a gym and way more like a banquet. And we're pretty excited about to, to do that with our people again this year. We weren't able to last year. Uh, we had shifted to takeout just because of the Omicron situation. So uh, it feels good to be back. Yeah, well, in that spirit, uh, knowing that the 
Christmas dinner and both residents and former residents and congregants that are going to participate in it uh, in a lot of ways are going to kind of flow out of the fresh glow of the shelter retreat. I know you and I have talked about the shelter retreat before, about its significance, about just the sadness that it was the the first thing that canceled because of COVID. Uh, but this fall, after three years, we were able to reclaim it. Uh, but we haven't debriefed it. So h- how did it go? And just talk about kind of what happened there. Yeah, the retreat uh, was a really beautiful experience this year. I will say uh, probably a couple of things. It was a little bit pared back in terms of all of the programming and all of kind of those elements that we typically we keep people on their toes the whole time and they're you know going from this thing to this thing to this thing we i think even a little bit intentionally we paired some of that back so we could have more space just to bask in that gift of being together in a common place uh with a whole bunch of people who we know and love and uh, really experience the retreat together um and it was beautiful it was one of our largest that we've ever done Um, up at Camp Crossroads. So really, really a beautiful, even backdrop for some of the stories that came out of that time. We shifted it up. So it was in October instead of March. So the backdrop was really much more um, autumn in Muskoka rather than slush and snow in Muskoka, which I personally really loved and feel like it took away some of the uh, concern about all the driving and what we were going to do and all the winter wear and all of those logistics that have sometimes been Um, extra complicating. Um, And it really was this beautiful time of people being together back in cabins, worship together. Um, Our speaker just nailed it when he talked about um, kind of the, the life that we're invited to live together and in seeking out who God is. It was really great. One of the things that we celebrated coming out of this retreat was just the number. And again, a lot of church leaders who listen Mm -hmm know that, you know, in church work, you often count numbers and you count numbers. I've heard it said we count people because people count, but often the numbers that we count in church are Sunday attendance numbers. Uh, Talk about the numbers that we were counting here in the shelter retreat and why they were so significant to us. I think for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think we were excited to have people back around after having multiple years of missing the retreat just because of what his, it has always been. And I think we'll talk about that in a little bit later. So we were anticipating that there would be a lot of people because there had been a lot of anticipation in the buildup of bringing it back. I think the other thing, though, is that we have been celebrating the number of Community Connect partners. Um, that really is an initiative that launched in early COVID. Um And so we're celebrating that 75 people, I think is a relatively recent number of the connection points are um, are in one-on-one friendships or two-on-one friendships. And we were really encouraging that crowd to be part of the Muskoka retreat. So we were kind of thinking, you know, we have our standard, sometimes that's 50, sometimes that's up to 70, but then we're inviting this extra group of people who often are coming from the shelter, but now are in these one-on-one friendships, that could easily add another 100. Maybe we're going to get, you know, 115 or 120 people um, signed up to come to this thing. And then ended up with, I believe the last count we did, and there was always a bit of um, people who don't show up on the day, but I think we got about 135 people who signed up to join us for this weekend. 
And there was something about that. It was just beyond what we anticipated it to be. It was by far the largest we had ever done. And it kind of captured what we had been feeling like there's this growing anticipation and there's this growing excitement for this sense of being open as a community again. And that number really affirmed that more people were feeling that. Yeah, to live in the world of kind of, as I understood it, the, the, you know, the 80-ish in previous shelter retreats, even in our kind of our heyday of doing the shelter retreat, um, to see that 135 and then the second number, to see that pretty evenly split between residents and former residents and congregants in those unlikely friendships. And even in addition, uh, I know you talked about the the high percentage of families and kids and little kids and just the, the, the diversity of the crowd there uh, was really something special. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, in some of what we invite people to, this idea of this lifestyle of action, a lifestyle that has both what you choose to do with some of the time that you volunteer, but also what you choose to do with your priorities and then to have that translated to your family and have, um, like, so for me, I had John and the boys up there participating in the chapel. My kids were up front on the stage, probably being annoying to a lot of people because they were dancing instead of allowing other people to just participate in the worship. And others have said, you know, the kids being up there amplified the experience. I think, I know that I'm not the only mom who was concerned that the kids were taking away from the experience, but I think that's more what we do to our own minds. Um, But really seeing the number of people who were making this a family expression of a priority that, that they have kind of embarked on this journey together, it was really powerful. Well, and, and knowing that, like you said, there was a kind of a three year lead up to this, uh, as the first thing that was canceled back in March, 2020, um, I guess what I want to drill into is, is why that retreat was so powerful. And even for those of us who, who lead churches, just to focus today on the power of retreating. So, you know, reflect a little bit with me, Annie, on kind of over the last three years without a shelter retreat, what hasn't been able to happen? Like, why was those, why was the impact there so significant in contrast to what hasn't been able to happen or what we've been missing? Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's nothing magic about the retreat in and of itself, but there is a lot of really significant impact that comes from the discipline of it, um, even this idea that we carve out space and we have this whole group of people who choose uh, to opt into something that is sometimes stretching for us. Uh, Financially, there's implications. You are giving up your weekend in a sense. It's a really, it feels like the people who go to the retreat are all in. And what happens there isn't necessarily magic, but it does carve out this space for the friendships and for um, the connection points with people, uh, to either form or to deepen. So I've thought about this a lot and I thought, you know, we've often referred to the retreat, um, for the shelter as kind of the pinnacle of community life over the course of the year. And I think probably I would rewrite some of that. The retreat itself is not the pinnacle necessarily. The bullseye probably is a little bit more the ongoing friendships that are real and authentic and 
uh, involve each other in our lives together. But the playground that the retreat provides to get to know people, for friendships that have started to deepen, to level the playing ground, uh, to get away from the grind of every day, uh, to carve out space to to be together and to be together in a lighthearted and fun kind of way, it all has massive impact that brings our community as a whole closer to the bullseye that happen daily and weekly when we're home. Yeah, and so I was going to ask, like, we have community life experiences in the shelter that we've created. We have a community connect program that systematizes how we pair up people with people to try to stimulate these unlikely friendships. We offer these experiences you know, regularly, weekly. We've got a Christmas dinner coming up. We've had other experiences this fall. What is it about the retreat experience that is so different or what is the unique contribution, I guess, that the retreat makes that you just don't get in that in that everyday offering? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think it provides time that's um, uninterrupted and designated to the deepening of friendships. So it allows time that goes beyond the couple of hours that you might have coffee with someone. Um, and so much of the, uh, the trust building, the rapport building, the deepening of friendships happen when we have you know, late night conversations in a cabin or we have consistent meals together where we journey from a meal together to an activity that the cabin is doing and then go to free time where you can sit on the dock and, and there is an unrushed element of time that I think is part of that. I think the other thing is that when we're up at the retreat, from the moment people get on the bus or get into the vehicles that take them up there, it is common ground. Everyone's having the same experience. And so it's a little bit different than coming for the Christmas dinner, for example, and then people going home to what can sometimes feel like very different lives at the end of it. Uh, we're all up there. We're all staying in the same places. We're eating the same food. We're um, participating in the same uh, kind of inspirational teaching, worship. We're playing the same games. And that element of common ground uh, it's just the kind of thing that you don't get all the time. And you d certainly don't get in a regular kind of way as just part of our regular lives. Hmm. I heard, uh, it reminds me, I, I think I might've seen it on social media, but it was a, a post that Tim Arnold posted recently that said, you know, all connection, all real connection requires wasting time together. And that's kind of a inefficient, unproductive way of phrasing it. But isn't that true? That it's 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 not just the time; it's actually the kind of time. It's not the structured hour, hour and a half, and then go home. It's the unrushed, unstructured, extended time that might feel like wasted time. That, like you said earlier, is a huge investment for people, but is really a, a, a catalyst to to cultivating some of that deeper kind of community. Absolutely. And I think it's in that time that maybe sometimes feels like it's wasted, but it's the unstructured time that you start to realize the things you have in common, right? Because when, when the time that you have with someone is limited, um, I think we, we don't separate out from the rest of life. We bring all of the rest of life into those moments, which is important. And it's part of how we get to know each other. But when we're in common ground with 
uh, time being a little bit more relaxed and free, you're also realizing where your humor is similar or where your interests are similar or where past experiences have brought you to uh, maybe the, you know, the common human expression of grief through something or the common expression of struggle or something like that. Um, and really, I mean, maybe maybe some people can kind of get into that spot in a more regular structure kind of way. But I think for most, being able to get out of the everyday of life helps to facilitate that. Hmm. Getting out of the everyday life, the everyday of life helps facilitate that. And that's really what I want to tap into in this conversation, because for even our members listening, uh, in addition to just the shelter retreat and for other leaders uh, who are listening that are trying to foster life change in people, there, there is something inherently powerful in the spiritual practice or the spiritual discipline of retreating. And so I wonder, you know, I know that you do this in the shelter, but I know that we book these in, in other work environments. Like, how is it that we understand the unique purpose of a retreat? And what is it that you would say a retreat can do that almost nothing else can do? No meeting, no, you know, quiet time. No, like, what does a, what does a retreat uniquely do? I think, I think it's possible that a retreat brings out um, the best of us. I don't know if that makes sense. But when I think about my own experiences, I know that in my everyday life, I'm pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, I often battle with feeling whether or not there is enough time for me to be and do all the things I need to be and do. And, um, and so I don't often leave a lot of space for uh, what requires space to marinate and what requires time to marinate and and to kind of rest in um, the unhurried nature of conversation. I know that for myself, I'm not good at that. I don't think I'm the only one who's not good at that. And so I think the opportunity and the discipline of engaging in retreat requires us to disconnect a little bit from all of the things and the people who need you in the everyday. Um, it allows you to be unified around a purpose, like a lot of the time for the retreats that we do, we state what the purpose is going into it. So there's a little bit of a grounding of this time is going to be dedicated to blank. And so um, it's not, I mean, I think if we were to say, you know, whatever comes from this, and it's not guided at all, we, we'd probably need a lot more time to get to where we want to get to. Um, but it's enough separated from your everyday that you're not distracted. It's carved out so you're not hurried. And it's rooted in something. So you kind of know what to build on. I think in the experiences that I've had personally as well, it allows you opportunity to get to know the people that you're on retreat with in a way that increases the level of safety to have the kind of conversations that don't happen all the time when you're back in your regular routine. Yeah, that half the impact is the impact at the retreat. The other half or the other portion of the impact is the impact that happens because of the retreat. Yeah. So, I mean, we yeah. often, you know, when we share with our teams, we'll, we'll encourage them to make those commitments when we're organizing a retreat and we'll say, hey, when you make undivided space for God, God inevitably shows up. It's like kids going to summer camp and they come back from the summer camp high. What's what's kind of irreplaceable, what, what you can't replicate um, 
in the in the summer camp high experience is just the extended space for God that's been created. I can't do that at home. I can't do that in a one week program. I can't do that in a even a conference or whatever. So the 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 power of just creating that space is significant. And I'm wondering, you know, as we've witnessed this in 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 recent months, you know, we've actually leveraged this in other environments as well, haven't we? Like Back in June, we had uh, our annual all-staff retreat uh, as well in June. And then just recently, we had our semi-annual leadership team retreat. Talk about, in a similar way, not just with the shelter retreat, but as an example, what similarly happens in these other retreat environments so that leaders listening and even all of us as, as Southridge members can can open our eyes and, and mind up to what God could do if we created that kind of undivided space for him. Absolutely. I mean, I think in, if I were using our annual June retreat as an example, there are elements of that that is about appreciation for our staff. There's a huge element of that that's in my mind worked through the entire experience of the multiple days of retreat that's around celebration of what God has done in the grind of ministry. We've all put our shoulders to the plow for an entire year. And then to take that step back with the people who did the hard work with you and, uh, and to acknowledge and celebrate what has actually been accomplished is, I mean, it's the discipline of celebration in that sense. I think it also provides some perspective that you don't get when you're uh, when you're just kind of at your desk every day or you're out in the the world of ministry, whatever that context looks like on a regular basis, where the the needs or the problems to solve or the challenging conversations they don't necessarily stop. And so, um, I think if you were in a situation where you were going to carve out, okay, we're going to carve out a lunch or we're going to carve out an evening dinner. Um, to celebrate all of God's faithfulness over the course of the year, it's quite possible that you're continuing to, your mind is continuing to go to the conversation that you need to have, or your phone is right close and you're only 10 minutes away. And so you'll continue to get called into all of the everyday. Having the retreat and the discipline of us even having the retreat, I think specifically about our June retreat, is that we're a couple of hours away from where our work is focused. Uh, we're with the people who have really put in the grind uh, to do the work so that we can celebrate God's faithfulness in that. Um, and for that couple of days moment, we're out of touch enough that there's a pause. And that perspective, I think, is part of, of why that feels like such sacred space for us. So as a church leader, we'll start here and then we'll talk personally afterwards. As a church leader, why is it important for you with the shelter, with a staff team, as a leadership team member, with our whole staff and all these different environments, why is it important for you to carve out these retreat type spaces? I would say different people need different things. For me, I probably feel like I need retreat as a discipline more so than um, it's a natural, it, it's not necessarily a thing that I naturally default to. Um, in my mind, there is a lot of discipline to it. And I think it is so vital because at the end of the day, we have to 
we have to be able to separate out from some of the hard stuff and soak in the good stuff. And I mean, maybe when I talk like that, it sounds like my everyday is really challenging. I don't mean it to be that way at all. Um, I find a lot of joy and a lot of life, even in the everyday of the work that we do. Um, but there's something different when you when you carve out and contribute and invest a specific amount of uninterrupted, uh, focused time with celebration as a as a value and relationship building as a value and um, forward thinking perspective as a value that you don't get that in your everyday. And so whether it's in the shelter or whether it's as a staff retreat, and maybe we'll talk about the personal side of that for me, um, a retreat breaks you out of the everyday and invests in your ministry in a way that you don't do while you get your emails done and your phone calls done. Yeah, so it's an for, investment into what we want. Yeah, so for for not only church leaders listening that are trying to organize these experiences on behalf of a group or a team, but for for all of us as aspiring Jesus followers, I want to appreciate that these retreats aren't just opportunities to experience God in groups. They can also work as a personal at a personal level. So in in your personal life, uh, I know internally as as a leadership, we we use the phrase personal retreats. How have you tried to leverage this unique experience of God in a retreat environment without a group, without a team, just at a at a personal level? Yeah, it looks a little bit different uh, for me personally. I've had to play around with uh, with what works that. I mean, logistically, I can make work on a regular basis, um, but also values the um, the time and the commitment that I want to make to that uninterrupted time. I think for me, I have realized that I can tap into some of the value of retreat without it being multiple overnights and far away from home and finding someone else to cover all of my home responsibilities at any given time. I can experience some of the values of retreat by a half day on a Friday where uh, my kids are in school and my husband is at work. And um, usually it means I can't be at home, but I can do that by, uh, by being really intentional about disconnecting for chunks of time that don't have to have all of the investment and the preparation of overnights and travel plans and all of those kind of things. I've found there's a, there is a period of preparation for even those retreats when they are shorter periods of time uh, that pay off tenfold when you actually engage that way. Um, and so for me personally, I like to know what I'm going to carve out and kind of meditate on. I like to know if there's a specific uh, scripture or if there's a book that I've read a chapter of and I want to spend some time in it. I want to know in advance if um, based largely on season, if a long hike is what I actually need, then my phone's going to be away and I'm going to unplug for that period of time. And so I think, I mean, the learning that I've had is that um, I shouldn't avoid trying to um, to access some of the value of retreat because I can't get away for, uh, you know, extended periods of time, but can work that into my regular, my regular rhythm with some preparation over 
you know, a handful of hours instead of a handful of days. And you talk about that preparation, Annie, what's the difference between deliberately creating personal spiritual retreat space versus taking a day off and reading a book on your couch or going on vacation? What's the, what's the sweet spot in the middle that is the markings of a personal spiritual retreat, if it, even if it's just for an afternoon? Yeah, for me, I would say as part of my own preparation, I go into those times prayerfully. Um, I also have different anticipation or expectation around that time when, it, when I am approaching this as a retreat rather than just my devotion time or a vacation. I'm going in with the, uh, with the need for and the anticipation of engaging with God differently than I do in the 15 minutes that I carve out here. Or if I'm away with my family, we, John and I were recently away with our kids for an entire week and I got very little like single digit minutes where I was completely by myself. So those kind of things don't happen just because you're on vacation. I think that there is a prayerful anticipation um, and an openness, even an eagerness to seek out where God has, what God has for you and maybe where God is leading you. And um, there's a lot more intentionality to what you want to accomplish in those times. That would probably be my best articulation of it. Great, great. So, I mean, if you're a Southridge member listening or a leader who tracks with us that's that's listening to this, uh, I hope by now you've gleaned that we're big on the spiritual power of the practice of retreating. We're big on it for our staff teams and our leadership, even our board of elders. We're big on it for community life in environments like the shelter. And we're big on it personally. So as we wrap up, Annie, you know, are there any final encouragements or challenges to those listening when it comes to really capturing this power of the spiritual practice of retreats for ourselves and the teams we lead? Yeah, I would probably just say, you know, we're going into a season that is so traditionally marked by increased busyness and increased levels of um, expectation and anticipation for all of the way, things that are going to fill your calendar and your schedule. And so it's easy to tap out of the idea of retreat and think, okay, maybe I can start to think about that in the next season, or there will be a season that's less busy. Um, I think if I were, if I were going to give a challenge or an encouragement, I would say, you know, in the inevitable no man's land between Christmas and New Year's, where you sometimes lose track of days and time and the, all of those kind of things that's beautiful and is has so much potential to be restful, to add a intentional chunk of time um, where you do a bit of preparation and you plan to be away, whether that's out of your home or just for a long walk, and you go in prayerfully open and anticipating what God wants to do with that um, discipline of carving out time and see what happens in it. Even if the commitment um, in terms of length of time is relatively minor, I believe that God can do really big and significant things with that time. And so I think my encouragement would be to maybe think about one chunk of time in the next couple of weeks um, where you can maybe not be as crazy and busy and lots of events and high expectations because of Christmas and instead uh, maybe determine 
to do something like this and see how you experience uh, Christmas differently because of it. That's a, that's a great encouragement. I hope every one of us knowing that, and we've seen it again and again, when you create undivided, extended space for God, God shows up in really extraordinary and unique ways. What a, what a better way to launch into our new year than to try to experiment and experience the spiritual power of retreats, even in our lives personally. So Annie, thanks for sharing that. We love where the shelter's at today in part because of the fresh glow of our shelter retreat. And we're excited for the Christmas season for uh, our shelter ministry, for you, for your staff and for your family. So thanks for being here and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Amazing. Thank you. Merry Christmas. And to all of you who continue tracking with us, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in about seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.